whose fault is this? Um, I think my sister Treva and my cousin Kathy did all of this. So here we are gathered. Um, we're all very different. Uh, we're from different states. Uh, Missouri, North Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia. Any, did I miss any? Anybody from something other than that? So we're all from different states. We all root for different teams. Uh, we're all the descendants of E.B. Shivers Sr. and Maxine Lois Dickerson Shivers. Uh, some of us are Baptist. Uh, others are wrong. Uh, <laughs> and we are here with, with a lot of differences, I bet. But my family and your family would agree, undoubtedly, that uh, today's world is a tad different from the one that Pappy and Maxie started life together. Almost a hundred years ago, give or take, when they were married. Our world's changed a, a little bit. If you want specifics, um, ask Mike, he remembers. <laughs> uh, this world's different than the world I was born in. But I've chosen not to freak out about the differences or to be blue. I've chosen to remember that he's got the whole world in his hands. And I love that song because of the theology more than the tune or the beauty of it. But we can forget that. We can take our eye off the prize and just forget that he's there and he's got us. But we're also different. We see things in different ways. Our attitudes are that we just went out of Well, we'll go to this one then, Ben. Thank you very much. We see things in different ways. Our attitude or our worldview affects the way we see everything. One difference that we notice in wherever we are, whatever state we live in, is Along this divide, there's a what's right crowd and a what's wrong crowd, the way they see things. The what's wrong crowd finds fault, and little things just drive crazy. And the what's right crowd overlooks the bad, and they're just glad to be there. At the beating of the 5,000, the what's wrong crowd would complain, you know, that fish just wasn't seasoned just right. <laughs> I had fish yesterday. You know, there are 12 baskets left. That's a horrible fish. I can't believe you would have done something. At the same event, the watch right crowd would have thought that's just the coolest thing they ever saw. When Jesus walked on water, the watch, watch right crowd would have been in awe and would have told the world about Jesus, and the watch wrong crowd would have said, Couldn't he swim? What's wrong with that? At the Grand Canyon, the watch right crowd talks about grandeur and beauty, and the watch wrong crowd talks about erosion, a big ditch out west. Jeannie called me Thursday morning at the office. And a fire truck was in front of our house for our neighbor. Now, we live in a townhome, and so the big deal is there's one wall that separates us and our neighbor. Uh, her garage wall, where the electric panel problem was, is on our stairs that go upstairs. It's the same wall. And uh, she thought I might ought to run home. <laughs> so I got out of the truck, and I raced home, and there's the policeman blocking, blocking the road. But, uh, Park and walk in the fire truck, and the doors open, and fans are in there, and the firemen are 
running through with infrared sensors doing all sorts of things. Our neighbor, Linda, at her house, she was in the driveway, rightfully worried about the situation. Jeannie was a little anxious, I probably was too, I went home for it. So we were, the wrong crowd had reason to fret. So how could you see that in a good light? Who would be happy for such an occasion as that? <laughs> Our grandson Jackson was with us. And when he saw a fire truck out the front window, it was the greatest thing in the world he'd ever seen. All the neighborhoods freaking out, and Jackson just grinning from ear to ear, and the nice fireman let us get in the truck, and it was a good day for Jackson. And he taught me a lesson. How do you look at things? We all see them in different ways. We have our conversations wherever state we live in about this world, and we'd all agree that we live in a divided country and a divided world that has lots of messes. But we gather as Christian people, and we ought to have a unique perspective about this world and what's going on. What do we do when our world seems to be falling apart? What should our focus be? I told Bill that I was going to preach on this, but. I didn't, and I didn't even put the verse on the screen, but Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Remember when the world was falling apart in the year King Uzziah died? That's a bad thing. When a king dies and the kingdom's up for grabs, and how's the world going to train? How's how the world going to change? And what Isaiah say? What do you see? I saw the Lord. I lifted up on his I like the way Isaiah looked. Let me read you a paragraph from a Jewish Christian newsletter that I received. In it, they say, the government of Israel is as flawed as any other human government. Many Israelis are disillusioned by the seeming inability of each successive administration to meet the challenges that affect everyday life. This provides evangelists a wonderful opportunity to point to the one leader who will never disappoint and who will one day come to Jerusalem to revolve around to resolve all the problems that dog both Arabs and Jews throughout the land. The only hope for this world is found in the one who was born in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. He is Jesus the Messiah, the King of glory. The only hope for this world is found in the one who was born in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. He is Jesus the Messiah, the King of glory. They're looking in the right direction. Let me read you another very personal letter written from Atlanta in August of 1864. This was written to my great-great-great-grandmother, so you can figure out what generation you are and how this applies to you. One of her sons was killed at Kennesaw Mountain, dipping a canteen to get some water, and a Yankee sniper got him. And in this letter, we read, and the man who died was Gilbert. About Gilbert, I helped carry him from the field and dressed him once. Evan, my great-great-grandfather. Evan and George carried him to Marietta and got a coffin and buried him. He was put away as nice as 
miss him mightily. I miss him more than any man I ever saw. I am sorry for his poor wife and his little children. But I do hope he has gone to a better world than this. A better world than this. I love that focus. In the darkest times of our nation's history, in the darkest time perhaps in our family, they were keeping their eye on the prize. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of being in your house. Help us as we focus and as we look and as we talk and as we react to the news and the stuff going on. Well, there's always stuff going on. Help us, Father, to trust you, to, like Isaiah, see you on your throne, to realize that whatever is going on in this world, well, we belong to another kingdom. And help us to focus on that one more than this one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to read from 2 Peter before we get there. Second Peter, written by Simon Peter, the Christians that were dispersed away from home because of bad things going on. Written probably around A.D. 68. Nero had burned Rome. You remember from history, Nero burning Rome. He wanted, they think, to expand and to build better, and so he lit some fires and it got out of hand. It became a big event talking about 2,000 plus years later, but to cover himself, Nero blamed the Christians and said that they had set fire to And so they were being persecuted and tormented and run out, hence the dispersion. And when all this mess happened, when they would talk, because Jesus was fresh on their minds, they were wanting to come back. And he hadn't been gone that long, but they wanted to come back. And so we read from 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Do not ignore this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. So the Lord's not slow about his promise about returning, as some think of slowness, but he's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be leading lives of holiness and godliness? You ought to, be able, you ought to watch how you are because you're not in waiting for and tasting the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved and the elements will be melt with fire. But in accordance with this promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will be at home. Therefore, love, while you're waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish. When you get home, you might want to read that in different translations. I like what the New Living Translation says about it. I've got it on the screen, but what I want to do is, Jesus, look at verse 12, really, if we can get to that screen. I'll start with verse 11. It 
Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly life you should live. And then we're told, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying in the wall. On that day, he'll set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the dreams. But verse 12, I for all of us, looking forward to that day and hurrying it along. That's focused living. That is expectant living. That's what my great-great-grandfather was writing about. Looking in the right direction, seeing what you should see. All our eggs in the heavenly basket, looking forward to the day of God. But in 2 Peter, they were worried, when's that going to happen? When's he going to come? My grandfather preached from, Pappy preached from 2 Peter chapter 3. I know he did. During World War I. And he waited. Our father, my dad, here and in other places preached. From 2 Peter 3, during World War II. And he waited. Our Civil War ancestors heard this scripture too. During the war between the states, and they waited. And God waits, and verse 9 said it's for all of us to repent to give the world a chance. And we're so quick to write off this world. Is it possible? that the world, including Christian people, have gotten so caught up in the events of this world that we have no expectations of Christ's return anymore? Is that possible? That we're so caught up with the news here, what's going on here, that we're not keeping our eye on the prize? What do you talk about more? What do you think about more? This world or the next? And we wait. And we don't handle delays very well. Our culture just doesn't like to wait. We have we wait less today than men have ever waited in all of time. It's still not fast enough. We travel so much faster than our ancestors traveled. Communications that once took months take seconds. You all can get in touch with anybody with a phone in your pocket right now. Meals that used to take hours to cook, they don't anymore, especially with the history for college. Everybody that he could see. 
One crew member was anxious because his wife's name hadn't been mentioned. She wasn't there. He left the dock and he walked home where he could see the porch light was on and he opened the door and went inside and there his wife was and she said, Honey, I've been waiting for you. The man replied, Yeah, but the other men's wives were watching for them. They were watching. And there's a difference. And we ought to be watchers. Matthew put it this way in chapter 24 about the day and the hour nobody knows. Neither the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field, and one will be taken, and one left. Two women will be grinding meal together, and one will be taken, and one left. Keep awake, therefore. For you don't know the day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let the house be broken into. Verse 44 is what I wanted to get to. Therefore you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Just be ready. When Dad was still pastor here, and I went to school at Mississippi State. Dad and Mary Alice would come to visit me. I lived in her family home in Akron, 1979. Lived by myself in a big old house. Wasn't the best housekeeper, as good as I am today. And so they would call and say, we're coming. And you know what I would do? I'd get the rake and start raking up the floors and that. <laughs> go buy new pots and pans and throw the old one. I, I, I would clean the house up until they got there and it just looked so nice. I was ready. Thank God they didn't surprise visit me. We need to live with expectation always. 2 Timothy 4 8, toward the end of his life, Paul wrote these words The prize, now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. For all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. That's how I want that. Looking in the right direction. And not freaking out about anything and everything that the news tells me. It's my prayer that all of us look toward his appearing. And that event looms much larger than anything else in our life. Anything else in this world. We didn't sing the hymn today, but it's more than appropriate to quote that one line. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It matters where we love. That's what I wanted my family to know. That's what I wanted me to know. That's what I want you.